Um, well, these are the things I'm going to be discussing this morning. Uh, FASMA is um, an act that has been uh, made by FDA, and it actually came in effect um, as not voluntary but uh, mandatory or required as of October 31st of this year. And so after prayer, I'll start discussing some of those things with you to educate you on what's coming forward for food safety and how it affects our farms. Can we bow our heads, please? Dear Father, I want to thank you so much for another day and for the gift of life today that you've given to each of us. Um, I want to thank you so much for this conference and being able to share with each other um, your love and information and knowledge um, that we brought here this weekend. Um, thank you so much. I just ask that you be with this presentation, um, that you will guide me in my words and thoughts um, to the things that need to be presented. Amen. I'll give you just a little bit of my background. Um, I don't know that I was specifically called to farming as some people may have been, but in a way I feel like I was. I grew up in Los Angeles, and um, you know, you kind of get acclimated to where you grow up. It wasn't like weird to me. The traffic was kind of normal. Um, <laughs> You know, now I go to a city and I stop at every stoplight at every street and wait three minutes and I go, ugh, <laughs> you know. And then it hit me. This used to be normal for me. Um, but my heart was never with the city. I, I, my long-term dream was to marry a farmer. And I, um, that was a big desire of mine. I, you know, the, the TV series, Little House on the Prairie, well, that was my... Uh, make-believe play thing out in the backyard and um, and so I just never really dreamed that that would ever happen uh, growing up in Los Angeles but um, through God's intervention I um, have the pleasure of being a wife of a farmer so so in a way I feel I got my calling um, so I want to welcome you to here today um, there's going to be two parts of my presentation here today. The first part is, um, as though it was not required in our harvest time this year for the FASMA, the food safety regulations, um, it's getting to be where your customers are not going to be buying from you um, if you do not have food safety certification. And so um, we... Uh, started having that, that issue come up for us this summer. Some of our buyers were requiring that. And so um, this, um, the first part is a, a lady we had come, and she does consulting on getting you ready um, for your uh, USDA audit for your food safety. And so she's put together the first part of the presentation, and then I, from that, um, put together a part of my presentation that has to do with how we implemented that on our farm, how we made our safety operating procedures. Okay, so um, this is just her introduction here that she made this for me to present to you. So GAP, what is GAP? Good agricultural practices. Cultural practices that can help improve the quality and safety of the produce grown. And these general guidelines can be adapted to any production system. And um, I'm, I'm just showing this part of it because I want you to see basically what they are expecting and why 
they have made this um, Food Safety Modernization Act. This is what's behind that. Um, why do we need them? As good stewards of the land, we are also good stewards of produce. We grow, harvest, pack, and transport to our customers. Um, they're very concerned. I saw a couple people of you that um, have had the experience of food poisoning, but that is probably the main thing behind um, this act that they've made is to be able to um, prevent people from getting foodborne illness, illnesses with their food. Um, factors of foodborne illness, one in six American annually will be, have um, a foodborne illness. Um, it attacks mostly the young, very young, and the older that have immune or underdeveloped um, immune systems. Also those that have um, immune compromised illnesses. Um, outbreaks can occur um, because foods are mishandled. Almost all foodborne illnesses are linked to time and temperature abuse, poor personal hygiene and improper hand washing, cross-contamination, and contaminated ready-to-eat foods such as the bagged um, lettuces, salads, and things like that, or cut carrots or whatever you get in a package that's been processed or cut or handled. So these are some pictures of um, some of the um, bacteria that cause these illnesses. Here is a Escherichia coli on a lettuce leaf and uh, also a Salmonella uh, on a lettuce leaf here. Uh, the growth rate for these bacteria is amazing. Um, they multiply very rapidly. The temperature danger zone for these is 40 to 140 degrees Fahrenheit, and your main three bacteria that cause these illnesses is Salmonella, E. coli, and Listeria. Here's an example um, in a 30-minute time period in 80 degrees Fahrenheit of um, how they multiply. So it's a very fast rate. So salmonella symptoms causes diarrhea, fever, cramps. Incubation period is 12 to um, 72 hours, and this illness can last from four to seven days. E. coli can cause bloody diarrhea and possible kidney failure, uh, which means that you would need to be on dialysis for the rest of your life. Uh, incubation period is 1 to 10 days, and the duration of this illness can be anywhere from 5 to 10 days. Listeria is the same. Um, same symptoms, time period. Where do these bacteria come from? They're found in the intestines of animals. They're naturally occurring in your soil and in your environment. Um, these illnesses can come from cross-contamination, such as handshaking with dirty hands, walking through puddles, and contaminated cloths. So how do we do, reduce the risks? So here's where our good agricultural practices come in, and this is what they're looking at for you on your farms of how you're handling your harvest. Um, they look at your soil, water, hygiene, surfaces, and wildlife and domestic animals. Soil. Illnesses cause microbes are always present in the soil, and soil and harvest is product, pro, uh, product in bins. Uh, land use history, um, floods, garbage, prior usage, 
were where there's a pig was there a pig farm on your land before you bought it or started farming on it or what kind of issues were there um, before you were growing your produce any kind of runoff from any other place um, are you down from a hill are you down from um, an industrial operation or a cattle farm or pasture anything like that um, and um, Composting, so um, the rules for um, raw manure composting, um, if your produce is grown on the ground, um, 120 days before you harvest, you're not to put any raw manure, um, apply it to your, to your ground. Um, orchard or any food grown off the ground, such as your fruit and nut trees, things like that, 120 days before harvest, you're not to um, put any raw manure on your ground. Again, land history, what was there before? We kind of went through that already. And again, the adjacent land use. Um, you know, what was going on in that, that land before you were growing there? Here's a, a sample of um, maybe where there's contamination down under your in your aquifer space from another area, um, someone close by that seeps into their water can come back up into your water. So it's important to test your water. Um, any kind of eating or bathroom facilities or anything should not be in your growing area. Um, wash hands before entering the growing area and returning to work. Water sources, um, there's basically three main water sources. There's your rivers, ponds, streams, anything that is open to the environment, such as, uh, you know, your fish, your birds, whatever, animals swimming in the water, um, beavers, um, things like that. Um, and then there's your municipal water, which would be like from your city and surface, um, and I said your surface waters, and then there's the well, um, your um, groundwater. Here's an example here of a well. Um, they like them um, clean and neat and uh, groomed up without being overgrown or anything. And part of the reason for that is because anytime you have any kind of big grass or brush or anything, that draws animals to that area for hiding or eating, which can cause a contamination problem. And then here's an example of your open water. And you can see some birds here swimming and standing around. Uh, water usage also includes um, irrigation method and timing, um, drip irrigation overhead. With overhead, you have um, the possibility of soil um, splash um, and contact to your edible um, product. So um, what you want to test in your water is for your generic E. coli and your um, coliform tests. That's what they're looking for. Here's a slide of uh, the little bacteriums that they're, they're looking to have tested in your water. So um, these are the standards that they have for produce safety rule, and I'm not going to really get in detail with that um, at this time. So hygiene and hand washing, that's very important um, throughout the whole process of your farming. Um, having clean hands during production and processing, good hygiene and health, 
clean clothing and shoes, and con uh, providing clean and well-stocked restrooms and hand-washing facilities. And I stress, I stress this. I know a lot of people use hand sanitizers, but they were very adamant it does not replace soap and water. They just really did not like the hand sanitizer thing. So, and their rule of thumb is you sing happy birthday to yourself two times while you wash your hands, and that's the length of time to wash your hands. Um, they also require that um, you have a visitor sign-in sheet. Anybody that comes to your um, location, your farm, that is going to be going out into your growing area, they want to make sure that they're following the same standards that you're following. And so they need to sign a visitor list and that they're willing to abide by the uh, hygiene rules of washing hands, eating in designated areas, and so forth. Here's an example here, a slide of two bathrooms, one an indoor facility and one of the porta-potties with their hand-washing station. And as you notice, it is out of the growing area. You can see the growing area behind it. Here's an example um, that she put in of our, um, one of our bathroom cleaning logs. Um, it should be done minimally uh, weekly. Um, and... Uh, the, their saying is in everything, if it's not written down, it's as if it was not done. So you can tell them until you're blue in the face, I really did that. But if it's not written down and recorded, then they don't consider that you have been abiding by whatever the issue is. So it's very important to document everything you do. Hygiene in each bathroom is required. Toilet paper, one-time use paper towels, such as no cloth towels that you reuse. Unscented soap, and the reason for the unscented soap is some people are allergic to different perfumes and things like that. And so they want to make sure that um, nobody has any trouble with that. Potable water for hand washing, um, you need to have water tests available and appropriate covered trash cans. Also, for um, the maintenance of the bathroom is no feminine products in the toilets, uh, no paper towels in the toilets, replace toilet paper rolls in dispensers. Um, they don't want to see a, a, a roll like on the back of your toilet or on a counter. Um, they're very adamant about them being on a dispenser. And um, if you want to store extra ones, you... Um, any containers, they're happy with containers about everything that's covered and that they can be kept clean in a container um, for future use. Um, no papers left on the floor, put in trash, flush toilet after being used, and um, wash hands before returning to work. Surfaces. Protive items will have physical contact with many surfaces um, from your pick to your box or however you're um, the food is getting taken care of. Um, so your harvest equipment, containers, transport bins, knives and other utensils, sorting and packaging tables, product packaging, and storing area all need to be um, cleaned. Um, here's um, any cold um, or damaged product needs to be removed before you're processing your um, fruit, they don't want it mixed. Here's a slide showing um, clean surfaces. Um, there, there are 
different ones. Um, what you need to check with, like if you're organic, uh, you need to check with your certifier on what's acceptable as a sanitizer. And more into this, I'll get into what we use and show you a picture of it. Mm -hmm. And so here's an example of clean tools. Um, they want to make a very distinct um, distinction between the clean and the dirty. So there's a container for clean tools and a, a, a container for your dirty tools. Not if you don't have anyone working there that speaks Spanish, no. We have people that speak Spanish, so. So, so again, if it's not um, written down, it's not done, so you log everything. And this is just an example of our, one of our harvest cleaning logs that we used this summer. They don't have to be fancy, they just, they want it documented. So wildlife and domestic, yes. Well, um, yeah, um, if you're actually touching the produce, they need to be cleaned daily, every day. So when you're done with your day, you clean your tools, then you sanitize them, and then you put them in your clean um, box ready to go out the next day. Wildlife and domestic animals. Um, keep growing area free of animal poop and other contaminants. Coals, soiled and damaged produce. Prior to harvest, remove these as they attract animals. And that was a nightmare for us this year. You could not go, this tomato is not good. It won't sell. I'm going to put it on the ground and go on and pick. Every one of those tomatoes had to be removed from the growing area and dumped away from the growing area. And that was a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, it had to be removed. It couldn't be in the ground. And the reason for that is, um, the reasoning behind that is, any kind of food that's left in your growing area is going to draw animals in there to eat. And then you're going to have contamination problems if, with their feces and stuff like that. That's okay. Just not in your growing area. I think rule of thumb for anything like that is like 30 feet. They were really concerned I have horses and I have a pasture along one side of our growing area. 30 feet was sufficient somewhat as long as there were other things that, like grass, so there wouldn't be runoff of water or um, fencing or trees that were going to prevent wind from blowing anything over and things like that. But I think a rule of thumb is 30, 30 feet. USDA requirements, I think, is 80% passing. There's others, um, certifiers, that have a higher standard, 90 and above. No, because that, that product is not really going to be touching the ground. The animals, they're worried about animals coming in for food. And even though they might be coming in for food in an orchard, they're not going to be jumping up and grabbing the fruit on the trees, probably. And, and if something is on the ground, then you're not to be put it, put it with your product that you're selling. It needs to be discarded. This is an example here of our daily checklist. Um, when I get to our own farming, how our farm went this summer, you'll be able to see that more clearly. Uh, this is a pre-harvest assessment log. You'll be seeing this a lot in this presentation for every area of this water and food, soil, and animal, and hygiene that they're looking at, 
they want this pre-harvest log included in our safety operating operating practices. And it's, um, as they say, they call it a three to seven day pre-harvest assessment log, but basically what it means, it's an assessment that you need to go do weekly as long as you're harvesting your product. Also, um, for wildlife and domestic animals, for wildlife, they don't want to see anything on the ground, touching the ground. Um, so as you can see in these slides, their pipes are on little logs or posts off the ground, boxes are on pallets, their drip line stuff, irrigation is on pallets. They have something there on a trailer. Um, the reason for that is um, if your irrigation pipe is on the ground, they're figuring that your squirrels or your rabbits are going to go in there um, to hide and therefore could cause contamination. And you, you take those pipes out to water your, um, your field and um, that can cause contamination on your product. So that's their reasoning. Um, they feel that if they're up above the ground, the animal's going to go underneath those pipes rather than in those pipes. I know, it, it's, let me tell you, we've lived it. <laughs> and you can ask them a question right now. They, they still don't completely know what they're doing, and, and they're pretty upfront about that. This is in a very changeable uh, process right now. Um, but this is what they have right now that they're working with. So what is a food safety plan? Say what you do and do what you say. I cannot stress that enough. Monitor, record, and verify. If it's not written down, it did not happen. Um, corrective action logs. It's a living document. Initial and date the change and move on. And what that means is you're not going to do everything right. Things are going to happen. Like um, we have an example here on our next page. I think we forgot to clean the bathrooms, or, or we didn't forget to clean them, but we forgot to record that we cleaned them. And so this, we just wrote in there, corrective action long, have been cleaning bathrooms, uh, forgot to uh, record this, um, started recording again today on schedule. And then you initial it. They just, they really want to see just that you're aware of what you need to be doing, that you're aware of food safety, not that you made a mistake. Um, and that's what the corrective action log is about. Benefits to a food safety plan. A roadmap for your operation. Checkpoints and monitoring mechanisms to verify and document. Help maintain or improve product quality and safety. And serves as a reference to all employees during training and throughout the season. And I know some of you don't have employees, but whoever is working with your produce. It can be your family. Anybody who is going to be having contact with your produce um, is basically what that is um, talking about. If you're selling it to somebody to eat, yes. There is no minimum. The only thing that I can tell you right now, this went into effect in um, the end of October. Um, there are compliance dates stretched out. It's not like it's absolute now that this has to be done. Um, so it's kind of up to your customers at this point. Are your customers requiring this from you? Because it's, it's being put on them now to have it required from their growers. And so farmers markets at this point, a lot of farmers markets are not requiring it. 
but it is heading that way. Some of them are, and it is going to, in the next several years, probably head that way. CSA, I don't know. That would be a, probably your one out as far as, you know, you may have a member that is going to ask for it, but probably not. It, it will get that way. Yeah, more and more it's going it, to, the requirements are put on them. They're going to need to have certified food brought to their places. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of taken over every business in our country. Here's just an example of our workers' training log. So it can be very simple, you know, just your what you did and date and names. And this, um, they, they provide, like here at USDA, we got it off of their website, training on their food safety um, that you can train your employees with. You don't have to try and think it up. Uh, benefits is a roadmap to your operation. Um, I didn't mention back on the other slide, but traceability, that's very important. I think you all have heard of the Chipotle outbreak in Washington. Well, from my understanding, oh, anyway, they had in several of their stores in Washington food poisoning outbreaks in Chipotle. And um, uh, my understanding, I talked with Kathy yesterday just to ask her a few questions before I presented this, and she says they actually have not traced back the source. Um, so that is what these, this phasma is about, being able to trace back the source of the food poisoning so that it won't continue. So why do you write a, a food safety plan? It's a preventative, assesses activities and risks, provides a level of professionalism. <clears throat> it provides confidence for your suppliers and your customers and agencies and officials that come and audit you. Um, and so I would suggest um, if you start this process, um, there's different agencies that can certify you. It's not just USDA. And um, maybe ask your customers um, if they have a preference of who they want you to be certified by. We hired a consultant this year because it is so detailed, <laughs> and we just wanted to make sure that um, you know you spend a lot of time in this and you want to pass. You know, you don't want them to come back, and they will come out to audit once a year. Uh, USDA through in our, in our um, of course, the California CDFA works with USDA, but they're the ones that came out to, to do the audit. Yeah. CC is an option to get certified, yes. CCOF is an organic certifier. And I don't know if all of them are doing it at this time. You can check with them, but they are getting into that as a service also, which is nice because they probably could do it at the same time. If you're organic, they're doing your organic certification, I'm thinking. It was very expensive to do this. I think the expense was for the consulting, but the actual audit also, they um, want a flat check for $850. The, there's two, two um, phases. They will, you make an appointment. You fill out a form, an application, or a form, for, for an audit, and you'll get a date, and they'll come out, and they'll go through the audit with you, and I, I have uh, actual, if you want to look at afterwards, a notebook kind of of our SOP, and then I also have, 
you can look at their audit questions and how they point it, the points they give you or knock off. Um, but, um, so then they have an unannounced inspection at a later date. You don't know when they're going to come. Is that once a year also? That is once a year. Well, it depends. The $850, they might not use that $850. It's, it's their time and travel and all that stuff. So if they didn't use that much, then that will be in a little account for you. When they come back, they'll use that rather than charge you again. If it took them more time than that, then they'll charge you a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that. It could be. Yeah, eventually. Um, I, I just talked to Kathy to kind of get the scoop on that a little bit more in, uh, yesterday, and she said that some of them actually already are um, requiring that from their vendors. Um, I don't know how soon that will be, but eventually it'll all be put in place. A road stand? I don't know. I think you're not really under any regulations there. You know, as long as you're not in a farmer's market. And again, I think the CSA, I'm not sure where that stands. Unless your CSA customer is asking for it. You know, I don't think it would be necessary. Right. And that's really what it's all about. It's about traceability. Yeah. Good point. Thank you. So I'm going to move on because my time is rapidly going. I'd kind of like to get into our farm <laughs> a little bit. So this was our summer um, here at Willie Farms and how we kind of implemented this. They require a map of your farm, and so we made a map. This is not our full map of our farm. Uh, we chose to be audited in increments. You don't have to be audited in everything, your orchard, your veggies, the whole you know, whatever. So we didn't even have our pack shed audited this year. We got our foot in the water with our field. And so this is a map of our field growing area, of our veggies, and our coolers and pack shed and, and everything that entails harvest with that. So this, this, I know some of these slides aren't clear, and I'm sorry, I was very much not gifted with photography. That is not my gift in life. No matter how hard I try, I just don't do it. <laughs> so um, anyway, so this was the uh, safety operating practices that was made for our farm. With you can see, they're kind of up there, USDA, these numbers, G1, 1 through 26. Those are their policies. They're not written out here. But this is what I'm telling you, going to show you, is how we complied with those policies for our safety operating practices. And so we needed a daily pick sheet, boxes, bins, purchase order, pull sheets, an invoice, and a little bit more in my presentation here I'll explain what that means. So here's a daily pick sheet that we have. Um, all of our commodities, how many boxes we picked, the date we picked, so that we can track the dates of the product that was picked. Boxes. Boxes have to have these things on them. Name of the farm, farm location, type of produce, number of pounds, and your organic certification identification. 
mock recall, they want you to be able to provide a mock recall because the whole gist of this basically is being able to tra trace any um, contaminated food to its source so that it can stop. And so this is a mock recall um, that we did. And this, um, so there's a little form you can do a mock recall with. And so this was our customer, NorCal, that called and said they found hair in our box. It's just made up, okay? They didn't really find hair in our box. <laughs> and um, so um, we have a certain number that runs through there. And I'm sorry, it's not very clear. But um, we have a transaction. And in that transaction where that green line shows, there's a number there. And that's traced clear through to the store. Um, so here's our pull sheet. So from so the last one was our transaction record. That is where our orders come in on the computer from a store for our product. And then we take the pull sheet and we make that order on a pallet and get it ready. This pull sheet will have that same number, the uh, 89640. The bill of lading that goes with the truck and to the customer has that same number on it. It also has the date on it. Uh, our lot number, how we do our lot number, is we put the, um, the month, like May is five, the fifth month, in the middle, and the day of that month on each side. So two, five, six would be May 26. And so that is on the bill of lading that goes out. It's also on our boxes that goes to the store. They can identify the lot number. There's also a field number there, T1, T2, whatever's on there. And um, that takes it back to the actual field that that product was picked in. Here again, in our invoicing, we keep that same transaction number so that we can track it, the 89640. In our food safety to comply, it was, I mean, it's on a point system. Maybe you choose to do that. You'll get knocked off points. But they want clean, fresh boxes that don't have any um, possible contamination. So then I went back to my time card. So with the lot number 526, I can go back to May 26 on my time cards, find the product that was given to them with the hair in the box, which is zucchini. And um, so um, we picked that zucchini on the 26th. And then we can pull the time cards and find all the people that picked zucchini. And we can even go back to tracing the people that picked the product. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so um, that's what they're wanting. They want you to be able to trace the food back to, the, to its source. So well water, um, water usage. Again, I'm very sorry that my um, slides are kind of blurry here. But um, if you have a well, the requirements are to test them once annually and they have to meet certain specifications. Uh, your ponds and open rivers and streams and things like that where you have more access to uh, animal activity in them, they need to be tested weekly. Did I say weekly or annually on the well? Annually on the well, weekly. 
It does say that, and that's a phasma thing. That's that kind of gray area where they're kind of working things out. At the moment, it's an annual requirement. Um, and then if you're using city water, like if your water comes from the city, you need to get their certification to have on hand. Um, so um, the test indicator for your um, water test is the generic E. coli and chloroform. So here's an example of our testing of our water and the results for the chloroform and the generic E. coli. This is a picture of our formula. Sorry, again, they're blurry. But um, our formula um, um, and how we used to treat the water. And this is what we use to treat the water with. And correction, corrective ac action log. That's in every phase of your um, area, your hygiene, traceability, animals, all that. So here's a picture, again, we talked about earlier of different kinds of irrigation. This is a picture in one of our fields uh, where we have drip line that's under, so it's not splashing any soil on your product um, uh, versus like an overhead sprinkler. Okay. Those are not taken off day and night. They're just kept on. When they're taken off, they're kept off. They're taken out of the field. Okay, so now we have um, the policy for your soil and soil amendments. So um, no dairy livestock runoff, no lagoons runoff. Manure has not been applied 120 days before harvest. Livestock and domestic animals on the farm are not a concern to our water system. Um, here you go, your family, dogs or pets need to be fenced in or leashed. They cannot be in your growing area. Um, and then again, your corrective um, three. <laughs> yeah, we've asked them that too. That's why you do these, as here, this uh, three to seven day harvest inspection. We actually have a daily list. We check for feces and all that kind of stuff. And then there's procedures to remove that feces also, or anything you find. Or if you find a bird pooped on your plant or your product, then you've got to mark that off and um, dispose of it properly. Um, you know, it just happens, and that's partly what these inspections are for. You go in every day, you take care of the problem, you actually look over all your product, all your plants, do you find anything, um, and you record what you found and then what you did about that, and, and you make your procedures of what you do about it. You take a glove, and you go and you pick it up, and you put it in a bag, and you dispose of it in your dumpster. Um, change your clothes, and then put clean, wash your hands, put clean gloves on and go back and pick your product. <laughs> That's what some of this is saying. We haven't done that. We wash our hands, change our gloves, go back out in the field. I'm thinking double. I mean, it's, I, I had to hire somebody full time to manage this this year. And you're paying your employees to do that. They did. I don't know if they're going to now that it's required. But um, until August, I mean, October 31st, it was voluntary. 
um, before this act was in place. And so, yes, they actually did give you um, a premium qual uh, price for your, for your product. I don't know now that it's required how that's going to work if everybody's required on the same level. So also on our soil and soil amendments, um, in case we have any kind of flooding that happens, uh, we have to have a flooding correction log and test our soils for any microbial hazards that might have come through that flooding. This is a ex picture here of um, things they like to see. Here's some gates, here's some fences that might inhibit your wildlife from coming into your growing area. Also, we got brownie points because coming down the road, it's not in effect yet, but they are going to be having procedures for terrorism, preventing terrorism. So someone might come in and poison your product, put poison on your product. How are you going to stop an animal? I mean, you know, I, I think the basis behind this is for you to be aware of food safety and just trying to be aware and do what you can to, you know, not everything can be prevented. So, um, in our soil and soil amendments, we provide a pre-harvest inspection log, organic certification, and a corrective log again. Here's just a picture of a pile of manure we got in, and I put that in mainly not because we didn't apply it 120 days before harvest, but because they require a certificate of analysis with any kind of composting you're going to be putting on your ground. I think it'd be anything you're putting on there. They want to make sure there's not going to be any contamination. Wow. Yeah. So I'm going to quickly move in here into our field and harvest. Um, Items are washed, repaired, and recorded on a wash and repair log. Any glass or broken pieces. So like for our tractors, you, the glass might break on your light. And it might get in your produce in your growing area. And so you have to remove them or put tape on them, some way to prevent them from breaking and falling into your growing area where it might get into your product. That's what that's about. Uh, any contaminated product is bagged and removed from the area. Any harvesting containers are used only for produce. And what that means is I'll show you in a couple slides here. Um, I'll go into that when the slides come here. Um, you transport the crops. They like to see them covered. Like if you pick a bin of cucumbers, putting a, what do you call that stuff? Burlap, thank you. Burlap on it or something to cover it. We had covered wagons and that was sufficient for them to bring them in so like a bird didn't fly and drop something on there while you were transporting it. Um, let's see. Um, again, your pre-harvest inspection um, that you do every seven days for your um, field. And uh, you need a procedure in case you have a blue water spill. If you uh, have a big storm and your um, porta potties fall over or something like that, um, how how are you going to clean that up? Um, here's here's the picture of uh, the sanitation we uh, sanitizers we use. We use a parasitic acid and. Um, 
And then any container that you're using to apply with, everything needs to be labeled, what it is. Um, okay, so what we did to, they want you to be able to discern between what bins are being used in harvest or picking boxes or buckets, whatever you're using to put your produce in, um, they're saying, how do we know, how someone, how do we know someone else didn't take it and pick the poop up, you know, for your, your going through your field or whatever. So you have to clearly define the difference between the two. Those that are only used for your product and on those that are not. And so what we did is we painted a green line on all our bins, buckets, everything like that, that we do not use for picking our produce. And that way it's very clear to anybody on the farm uh, that's been trained um, of what that means. This, unfortunately, um, our bathroom station out in the field kind of dismantled here pretty much because our picking time was over. I didn't get a picture during our harvest time. But I, I put this picture in here to show you the, the green line on the bucket also. We used that to collect the potable water from our hand-washing station there so it wasn't just going on the ground. Here's the pre-harvest log uh, that we went through weekly answering those questions. And here's just an example of documents that we used for our field wash and our small pack shed and our main pack shed. Here's a closer look. I think it's a little clearer. You can get an idea. So again, if you don't log it, it's as if it hadn't been done. So health and hygiene for workers. Um, this also is basically the same things. Uh, certification for your potable well, um, your potable water through the well, uh, the visitors list, um, employees, um, complete a sanitation training annually. Your toilet facilities and hand washing stations are provided and maintained weekly. Um, and then um, if you have an employee or if you are ill, uh, you're not to be picking that day. You go home or go to the doctor, whatever you need to do. If you're cut, you need to go clean your um, the blood and um, dispose of that in the dumpster and bandage it up and cover it up so it won't be contaminating the product. Um, here's a slide of trash cans that are non-hand. They want no-hand trash cans, so we have a foot one, and, um, and our bigger trash cans, we cut the middle out of the top of the lid so you could just throw your trash in that way. And a little um, sign here of washing your hands before returning to work. Here again is documentation for that, um, for our water testing. Visitor sign-in sheet that they're complying and understand um, when they go into the growing area of having clean hands, not eating in the growing area and they're aware. Here's just an example of our training, um, questions that we trained our employees on, and a, um, a work training list of who was trained. This is a little example of our um, sanitation standard operating procedure, if we have a problem there. Um, this is kind of the in-depth list we went through daily. And some of it, to me, is kind of mixed with your OSHA rules, but 
It's their rules too, and I guess that's good. They're combined, but it went into degree of temperature that your employees were working in, um, providing ice in the water and clean water and water at all times, what the temperature was. Um, when temperature is over 90, then they need breaks more often and all that stuff. We checked always the water, bathroom facilities, any contamination in the fields, all that done here on this list every day. Did you have a question? Oh. Mm-hmm. And then I just wanted to show you an example to end with. Um, a first aid kit. They require first aid kits. Um, this one obviously has dirt on it. It was one out in our field, actually. Um, but they're not looking for anything huge and fancy. Basically, Band-Aids, um, antiseptic wipes seem to be very important to them. Um, the one thing also that, I, that is very important to them is I put these up here to give you an example. If these are in your first aid kit and the date is expired, that is not good. So you need to make sure that they're supplied and that everything in there is not expired. The expiration date is not passed. And again, a corrective um, action log for that area. And this um, is a chart that sort of explains the FASMA regulation and when it's implemented. So they're giving you um, some extended years here to get fully in compliance with it. And I don't think they quite know exactly how it's all working either. So thank you very much. Appreciate your time. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.